Can you believe it? It's finally here. It's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you get stressed out about how to pay for it. Savewithconrad.com can help you make this the best Christmas ever. You won't make a house payment for the next two months. That's right. Skip your next two house payments and use all that cash for your extra holiday expenses. And come next year, you're going to have a lower monthly payment. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Pay your credit card debt off at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Savewithconrad.com. How about it? Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good. I just got back off the road. I'm uh, feeling pretty good. Nice. Uh, always good to get home safe and sound. Absolutely. And, uh, we're covering some miles, you know, uh, this, uh, this time because we're, our locations on taping AEW or we're moving West. So, uh. A lot of, uh, we got like three weeks in Texas, I think. Wow. Something, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm going to try to get to Oklahoma during that time period. Just, I've been, I've been going to my, uh, rate of my, uh, uh, wound doctor, wound care specialist every Tuesday morning, which I'm beginning to really dread because it's a painful freaking ordeal. Takes a scalpel, goes into that wound, and starts scraping dead, dead uh, material, and to say it didn't hurt is wrong. It's a lie. It does hurt, but we're getting cleaning it out and keeping it rolling and 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 healing. So, I guess at the end of the day, that's the way it is. And Jr. just can't be a little sissy and uh, worry about have a little pain. I've been a little pain since last November, a year now. It's been a year since I got diagnosed. Wow. And it was, uh, this time last year that I started 22 radiation treatments. So it's been a very interesting year to say the least. And, uh, but progress is being made. That's all that matters. Roll title on that man. Uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm, uh, so thankful and happy that that's, uh, getting further and further behind you with every passing day and. Uh, we're just glad to have you, you know, obviously that AEW schedule is, uh, is picking up. And of course, folks can see and hear you on Wednesday and Fridays. And of course this past Wednesday, we saw some interesting, an interesting piece of business that got everybody in wrestling talking a little bit about, Hey, what does this mean? What's next for Mr. William Regal? Uh, yeah. of course, as you and I are recording, the internet is a buzz and everybody's got their theories and man, what an on camera performer he has been for AEW and. It's my understanding that, uh, he would try to work out with some of the guys beforehand and just yeah. a beloved figure in wrestling uh, universally respected. I don't think we can say enough nice things about Mr. Regal. No, I don't think we can either Conrad. He's a valuable asset to AEW or wherever he may be or, uh, in any company. So, uh, it's been a blessing to have him around cause he is, he was one of my guys. I really worked hard to salvage a career for. Uh, back in the day. And so, uh, he's been a very valuable resource. You know, you, you can't replace guys with that kind of experience. And, and, in Regal's case, also the patience to uh, help these young guys, cause he, he was in the ring every day, uh, you know, when we go at TV and did a, just always had time for the talent and young green guys. And I just, 
I, I told some of them the other day, I said, I hope you guys are paying attention to him. I mentioned the MJF. I said, you know, uh, the more you can sit under that learning tree of, uh, William Regal and talk about the psychology of being a wrestling villain, you should. Yes. Cause he's got great psychology and, uh, uh again, a very valuable asset to, to wherever he may be. Uh, I don't know what the future holds for him, but I mean, he's, he, uh, he's one of those guys that you can't re- replace e- easy. Right. Or at all. I don't know if you can replace him at all, quite frankly. But he's been an amazing, uh, uh, boost for us and, and, uh, we'll see how he's, I think as we speak, he might be in England. So, uh, but he's been a great friend and a, a loyal guy, honest, uh, hardworking. And like I said, the patience to work with some of these young cats is really, uh, amazing. It's tough. So, uh, he, he's a real, he's been talked about a lot here. And so we'll see where it goes storyline wise as we move forward. Cause I don't have a clue. Uh, I, I like to not know Conrad, you know right. that I just, yeah. just what's happening. And so it should be, it should be fine. He'll be good. He's a, he's a hell of a guy and has been a very valuable team member of AEW since he arrived. Well, I'm excited, uh, that we're going to get to uh, talk about some of these young cats, as you called it, you phrased it because today's topic is about developing developmental because right. when, it, when you think about WWE and their developmental program, a lot of that would fall on your desk as well. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's just jump into it. Uh, once upon a time, the WWF had essentially used territories to develop talent. Maybe they didn't know they were doing that. Uh, but you see territories were far and wide. And when Vince went national, boy, he just started to pluck off the best of the best. And eventually Vince would even convince promoters to send in tapes of their shows for him to air on USA. And well, he wound up signing away some of the very best talent. And eventually as those territories start to die down, maybe Vince realizes, Hey, you know, maybe that wasn't all that bad because it feels like the first developmental home for the WWE was the USWA in Memphis. Of course, we saw a ton of talent come through there, including a guy who we know these days is the rock, right? What was it about Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett and the USWA as a whole that made you feel confident that, or maybe Vince felt confident that, Hey, this can be it. This can be what developmental could be for WWE. I think their track record, you know, uh, they, they, they produce a lot of talent successfully. Uh, and so their track record to me was what, uh, put them with the, the head of the class and the fact that they were running a lot of shows, you know, the key thing I've always said is the guys have got to work with, with the uh, talents that were better than them and, uh, that, uh, could help them improve. And, and get a lot of ring time. Right. So that's what we got out of that scenario. So, and it worked for us, you know, it worked for us. It was a good, it was a good kickoff to what was drastically needed. Vince and I used to have conversations and I don't mean this in a negative way with uh, regarding the British bulldog, but it was always like, you know, you know I would say, well, Vince, we can't continue to repackage the, the bulldog. Right. We're wearing it all that out. What, what's next for him? And, uh, he, that was just using him as an example, not the example, but you know what I'm saying? We had a lot of guys like that, that were looking for a, a, another, a reprieve or another, a restart, a fresh coat of paint. Uh, yeah. Fresh coat of paint. Yeah. And, and so it was, uh, 
it was, it was the right time, the right thing to do. And, and I think that that the developmental program, which is, which led has led to NXT now, right. Uh, uh, was, uh, the right thing to do. And probably one of my better things as a administrator to get that started and, uh, get people on board that we need to develop new talent. And this is one way we can do it where we have some control. So that was where that started, but the USWA had a great track record and, and we believed in their system and, and, uh, you know, I like working with Lawler a lot cause we're partners on the air and all that good stuff, but I knew that we'd get results out of it. It was good for them to have success as well. Cause it was good for their brand. So consequently, I think we made the right move there on how we started the developmental program. It really is remarkable to think about, you know, that maybe we don't even consider what developmental might look like once upon a time for WWE, because we've got some of the best wrestlers in the world, but it is one of those deals where you hear all the time in wrestling, the way you get better is you got to have reps, right? You got to have bites of the apple. And so back in the old territory days, man, you were working five, six, seven days a week and oftentimes in front of the same crowd every week. So you would have to try new things and get your ass out of your comfort zone. And then you'd have to do those localized promos and sell tickets. And when you're required to do that on a weekly and then daily basis, you can't help, but get better. And you don't really want to have people come out on WWE TV and it'd be the first time they've held a microphone in front of a crowd. And well, let's just hope for the best, right? We weren't. Yeah, exactly. We weren't, we weren't going to have that. We weren't going to have any embarrassing situations. And the other thing you don't want to do is put talents in a position where they may not feel comfortable, uh, where they may not think that they were in the right spot. Maybe their, their advancement was a little premature. We weren't going to have that if we keep from it. So, uh, it was, it, it worked out and it get, it kept getting better. Conrad, that's the one thing about it. it kept getting better. And if you look at the guys that we signed that we put in developmental and where they ended up with hall of fame careers, with a lot of money in the bank and all those things and contributing to the success of the brand. Uh, it was, it, it was uh, very w- much needed and we found our solution there and cause the guys that we produced in that system, no matter what they were based, where they were based, but in that system was uh, very impressive. No doubt about it. Uh, we saw a, a photo a moment ago of flex Kavana. I mean, the rock coming through is maybe one of the most glowing testimonials, but when you take a look at Memphis and you go way back, you would see even guys like sting and the ultimate warrior. I mean, a lot of those guys, everybody, whether you were the undertaker or Mick Foley or, or Steve Austin, everybody came through Memphis at some point. And it did feel like once Vince had sort of gobbled all of that up in the eighties, by the time the nineties rolled around, you, you are looking for some other opportunities. And, and since, you know, Vince clearly had a good relationship with Jerry, maybe that made sense. Jerry Jarrett. And of course, Jerry Lawler's on the team. So if right. this is their territory, that's kind of easy. And th- the other thing that you would try as well is ECW. And that almost becomes like a de facto developmental system where you have guys who are just going to go hone their craft a little bit. Maybe it's an Aldo Montoya. He's going to turn into just incredible. Maybe it's an Al snow. He's going to go down there and find some head. There were lots yeah. of opportunities <laughs> for guys to sort of go back and forth. And I think maybe one of the first times we saw an ECW talent come to the WWE in a big way was too cold Scorpio, uh, when he became flash funk in, in November of 96. But I think we were always careful to not ever specifically refer to ECW as a developmental system. 
right. would be the difference between the way you were doing something in Memphis versus the way you might be doing it in ECW? Well, the bottom line is it, you, you did the same thing. You just got reps. And, uh, that was the key thing all along was you'd be these kids, young guys, whatever in the ring, develop their confidence, develop their storytelling skills and things of that nature. So the goal is always the same. I think out of respect to ECW and, uh, what their brand stood for in the eyes of a lot of people, uh, you know, it just seemed like a, a, a very viable, uh, thing to do Conrad, you know, they, they had some good talents there. Yes. And they just need to clean it up a little bit. They just need a little polish as we say. So, uh, but it was, it was, it was a good thing. I, I, I'm probably as proud of the developmental creation of that program as I was, uh, as I have been with anything I've done in talent relations. So, uh, I think it bailed our ass out of a lot of potential issues, get new talent. You know, we talked about OV, OVW is going to come up because they were a viable entity oh yeah for, tra- for training uh, you had al snow there as we've previously mentioned he was a great uh trainer uh passionate about the bit he and danny davis cornet rip rogers all were fabulous and so we had a, we put together a real good staff mm-hmm. you know and and when people talk about nick saban's success one of the things you can go back and look at is his track record with assistant coaches and where they are now they're head coaches. They're making millions of dollars a year. And they all started, a lot of them started with Saban on Saban's, Saban's staff. Easy for me to say this morning. So, uh, nonetheless, it's, uh, it was fun. It was fun. And I, I had so much pride in what we accomplished and giving guys the opportunity to get better and live their dream. And so that's, and I think that's kind of where the bottom line of this whole thing is you get, we're going to give you a chance to get really good at your skill set. And we're going to get you plenty of in-ring time. You're going to wrestle different people. And all of them are probably going to have much more experience than you. So consequently, uh, it was a very magical formula that was so simplistic. It was crazy. Well, I'll tell you Al, something else that's so simplistic. It's crazy. Giving the perfect gift to the guy in your life. If you really want to give a gift, that's going to get everybody laughing, get everybody talking a memorable gift. Tis the season for clean balls. Follow la 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 la. Lord. Our friends at Manscaped are helping you clear your driveway for safe travels this holiday season. From stocking stuffers to white elephants, Manscaped's products are at the top of every wish list. Grab some crop mops for your pops or the body buffer for the holiday lover. Win this year's white elephant gift and help all the men in your life go from eggnog to nice hog this December by going to manscaped.com and using the promo code Jim Ross for 20% off plus free shipping. Manscaped really is a one-stop shop for all your holiday needs. They have the perfect gift in the platinum package 4.0 plus loads of little presents for the perfect stocking stuffers. And what a better holiday gift idea than giving the gift of good hygiene and a few good laughs. Manscaped has a handful of their liquid formulations. You need to check out shampoos, body washes, upstairs and downstairs, deodorant, gels, exfoliants, absolutely everything that you need to keep it clean. Don't let their chestnuts roast in the wrong boxers. Get them a pair of Manscaped's boxers, especially made to keep the area cool and provide that holiday comfort all year round. Now that you've gifted them perfect privates, go beyond the groin with Manscaped's full body product line. 
Maybe dad's got some nasty ass nose hairs. Well, get him in check with the weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is their full kit for nail care, scissors, clippers, tweezers, and a file all for the traveling man. Maybe JR's new favorite, the preserve cologne. It brings a light breezy woodsy feel gives you that fresh tree scent all year round. Even after Christmas is over. Hey, are you still using a dirty ass loofah? Let me introduce you to the body buffer. Loofah's whole bacteria from dead skin. Throw it out, get a body scrubber that feels smoother, but acts tougher. And lastly, top it off with the crown jewel for their family jewels. Talking about the lawnmower 4.0. It's got advanced skin safe technology. It's a life changer. It's known for reducing nicks and uh, cuts on Santa and his <clears throat> Santa sack. Manscaped is here to make the holiday shopping experience a blast by giving products they'll love and make them laugh. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Jim Ross at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code Jim Ross. That's manscaped for a perfect gift. That will be this holiday's biggest hit. It will. People are going to get a lot of, have a lot of fun with it too. I think that's part of gift giving is bringing smiles on faces. And, uh, as Vince used to say, so, uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great gift opportunity. And there's nothing else like it on the market, uh, I think, as we've established. So consequently, perfect gift idea. Uh, other than jrsbarbecue.com, it might be my favorite <laughs> gift idea. This, uh, this Manscaped opportunity, this feels, this feels like a gift you should get Vince this year. I probably will. You should consider it. He needs some clean balls. I don't know where his, uh, I don't have his address anymore or his phone number. So somebody said he changed his phone number, which I don't blame him. Well, I think it was a WWE-owned phone. Ain't that a bitch? Well, I know when I left there, I got to keep my number and I got to keep my phone, and that's all because of him. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think he was reluctant to see me wandering around in the pasture looking for work. <laughs> so he, uh, so we, uh, we, we did, we did well there. We did well there. So yeah, check it out, folks. You go to manscaped.com and all you got to do is to see all the products they got. Yes. You're going to figure out what fits your taste, so to speak, perfectly. And then when you, un un when you unwrap those, or, you know, here's the thing. If you're a guy and, and, and we have a strong male audience, a lot of men listen to watch yes. the show and listen yes. to it. Uh, it's, uh, it's just phenomenal. The things you can do with manscaped. I'm a big fan as you can tell. So. And not just because they're the loyal sponsor, we get them results and, uh, and they get you results. So it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Let's, uh, let's also go ahead and remind everybody that the promo code is Jim Ross. You want to make sure you got that Jim Ross is your promo code. Going to save a little cash, get some free shipping. Let's get back to the program here. Uh, when you've got a kid who comes in, has got some opportunity let's say it's Bracus, right Bracus is a bodybuilder he looks good vince thinks there's money in this guy somehow he winds up in ecw is that a call that you would make to paul and say hey man we need to get this guy some reps this guy needs some ring work uh yeah is that is that pretty much the process yeah you, you, I, we got this guy that vince is high on i was not high on Bracus, right uh i didn't think he had uh the intangibles because his lack, because of his lack of, uh, product knowledge, he did look great. Uh, he had a very beautiful wife. She hung around the office a lot. Uh, 
So, but I didn't think he was, he was at the top of my list. Now, look wise, if you're only going on looks, he could have been theoretically your number one guy, but he just didn't have the aptitude for this unique form of sports entertainment. Well, it's, um, I, I I'm just curious about the business structure. I assume that you guys are going to pay him and then, you know, it's up to him to just figure out the creative. Would, would, would a guy like Paul Heyman have to run any creative past you or you don't care? No. Just work on it. No, I, we didn't. We didn't use Paul's judgment and why wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, you know, quite frankly, and, and that way it is the better fit within the individual promotion. You know, use the talent as you see fit, just get them a lot of work and especially focus on their fundamental skill set. So, uh, but we had a lot, we had a lot of those guys that look good, you know, pass the eye test and some had it and but more often than not, they did. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. So let's talk about, you know, just what that process entails you know when you bring a guy in and you send him down uh, who's communicating something like that to brockus will that also fall in your lap to say all right we need you to get some reps here's what we got in mind for you or does somebody else handle that i, I handled it but i i delegated a lot of it because we had a lot of talents spread around the country right so you need to you need some help you know tom pritchard was a very viable and valuable hell of a trainer you know, and then you had guys like, look, we, here's what we had. We had guys teaching, coaching, uh, our, our young guys that are, have proven out to be great teachers, right? Al Snow is a great in-ring uh, instructor. Tom Pritchard was a great in-ring instructor. You know, how we got all started with, you know, using Dory jr. Was a, was a key element because of the way he trained people and his unique style. And the fact that a lot of guys that were getting trained by J Dory Jr. were hero worshipers. Uh, they looked at Dory as one of the, one of the business's heroes as they should. And so, uh, that's what we were, you know, Dory was, you know, they trained, we trained, we didn't have a facility. We used a warehouse there at Stanford. Uh, and, uh, I used to go there every day to watch Dory train and, uh, how he, how he, uh, worked out, how he worked out the talent. So, uh, but we, we had some of the best instructors that you could acquire. We had the coaching staff of coaching staffs and a lot of guys that I've, we've already mentioned, uh, were, uh, viable elements in that whole process, but boy, what a good staff we had. Good Lord. We couldn't have done it without these, these guys teaching Danny Davis. And as I said, down in OVW, he and Cornette were, were great minds. Uh, Rip Rogers, uh, was a hell of a entering instructor. Uh, so we, we were very fortunate that we were able to work with a lot of guys that were just really good at what they do. Well, help me understand the, uh, the USWA with it closing at the end of 1997, does that sort of force your hand on how we've got to just take things into our own hands here? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. We, 
it also put us back into position of total control because we started, you know, this was a better deal. Uh, the US, losing USWA didn't do us any favors, but I think the inevitable was it was going to close down. Their business was not good at that point in time. So, uh, but we've kind of flowed with it. You know, we knew all along and it's somewhere down the road. We want to have our own facility. We want to train these guys and, and ladies, uh, to the very best of our ability. And, and that's kind of what our goal, long-term goal was, which has now, uh, manifested itself into the, uh, performance center and, uh, the facility there in Orlando. So, uh, it was, it was all starting to come together, but all because of a real good staff. And I had some really, really good people uh, working on that and helped us a great deal. They took ownership and, uh, I always will appreciate that. And, and I think the WWE should always appreciate it. I, I'm sure that they do. I, uh, I love the idea of, of sort of starting from scratch and how this all comes together. And, and we know that, you know, over at tracks, the warehouse near Titan towers and Stanford, we know that Dory funk is going to be one of the first guys who helps run what I guess is called the funk and dojo, but why yeah. Dory? Why, why does Dory get the nod here? Why not? Well, I'm just saying why him over someone else? Is it relationship? Is it? Oh, well, I trusted him. Right. And he was fundamentally sound. I got my God, Conrad. He was one of the best workers in the history of wrestling. I think ain't, nobody's going to disagree with that. And so getting him there and with his experience, his maturity and, uh, his fundamental soundness, uh, was a no brainer to me. I mean, I thought we were lucky to have him. So, uh, junior was just really terrific there. And, you know, he butted heads with Tom a few times Those are coaches. They have their own way of communicating and their own priorities or list of priorities, but it was never anything we, we didn't overcome, but you know, they'd butt heads occasionally, but that's part of it. So, but junior was just a really key element in the very beginning, because I knew that he was going to teach old school values and use old school techniques to, uh, to get his job done. And he did. Awesome. Well, I, uh, I just love the idea of, of figuring out how this all came together. Of course, we know Dory Funk is going to be somebody who's pretty trustworthy. Normally a fellow who I believed at the time lived in Florida, but now he's going to venture up and, and brave that cold here in Stanford. And I assume Pat Patterson was hanging around. He had a role in all this. He loved this sort of thing. Did he not? Oh yeah. He was great. Pat was a great asset, uh, because he was experienced. He loved being around the boys and all the talent. So, uh, yeah, Pat was invaluable because Pat could look at a talent, watch him work one match or watch him work two or three minutes and tell you that kid's got something, uh, or something along those lines. He was just really, really good at, at, uh, evaluating talents and, you know, it got him out of the house, so to speak, got him out of his routine because for a long time, you know, Pat and Bruce were just. They were a pair and they worked together as a pair. Uh, and so this gave Pat something new to do. And, uh, you know, Bruce also helped a lot. So we, you know, we wanted opinions from all kinds of people and with the office politics, as they were, the more you get people to buy into your concept, the more likely the concept was going to have to more, more, more chances. The concept was going to have to be successful because everybody's got their, well, this guy's not going to get over this guy's. He's too fat. He's too short. He's too tall. He's too whatever. Uh, and so 
getting those guys on board, I thought was, was going to be a very valuable thing as we move forward. I needed their support. I needed them to uh, pitch in and, and help and evaluate some of these kids and, uh, everybody involved did a good job. No doubt. Let's put this into sports terms. You basically need training camps to teach these athletes what they should be doing. I mean, obviously they're, they're athletes, but this is a new, this is a new hold as Jr. would like to say, this is a whole new skill set from even being an amateur wrestler. And when people get hurt, you need to be able to make sure they're having some sort of a supervised rehab and they got to get ready to work back in the ring, work off some of that rust. So this makes a lot of sense, but I guess the question is, why do you think it took so long for this to happen? Like Vince first goes national in the early eighties. Here we are in the late nineties before it becomes a reality. We didn't need a Conrad. We had a system. We had, we had talents coming in, right? Any, any, any remnants uh, from the territory days were all viable candidates to get a job. Uh, cause it's a new face that had that understood how to work and, uh, under, you know, it was just a, it was really a no brainer. And I think the reason the timing as you alluded to is the fact that, uh, simply the fact that, you know, hell we, uh, we were, we were filling our, we're, we're stocking our shells until there was no more inventory and we waited almost too long, but, uh, but we, we, we've made good choices on the talents that we signed and that we invested more time in. And again, getting guys on your side, whether it be a Bruce or a Pat, uh, any of those cats, uh, you know, shoot, it was just, it was just a, it was just a perfect storm in my view. The thing about it, you, you know, I, I know Vince is going to ask, he's going to work with, he's working a lot with Pat and Bruce on TV and things of that nature. So he's going to be around them a lot and interact with them a lot. So I wanted, I wanted to make sure that Pat and Bruce are on board with these talents. And all we, all the guys we signed were, it wasn't the fact that they, whoa, they're going to be great. We had hopes that many of them would be great. And some of them were, some of them were still great. So but that's kind of where we were with that. It's just, it was hard to, you wanted everybody on the same page. If somebody's going to talk to Vince, I wanted to hear them say, this kid's got something, Vince, you're going to like, they're going to like this guy. But uh, Vince was not overly involved in it at that point in time on a few talents that he personally liked. He liked the bodybuilder type, you know, that's not new news. So he, uh, he was, he was, uh, he was, he was in all in, but on a limited basis. The, uh, WWF starts its, uh, training camp, according to the observer in early 98, Dory Funk and Pat Patterson, of course, at the helm, including in the camp are Mark Marrow. Darren Drozdoff, Tiger Ali Singh, Randy Blackbeard, Ahmed Johnson, Mark Henry, Steve Blackman, Matt Bloom, Sean Stasiak, Sean Morley, Adam Copeland, Kurgan the Interrogator, and Taka Michinoku. They want Michinoku to do more mat wrestling so he doesn't have to do as many flying moves per match. And they also want him to work on his English and learn some interview skills. Reports are that Copeland, aka Edge, and Morley, AKA Val Venus have been the most impressive. Several of them are going to work a WWF house show on the ninth and 10th in New Hampshire. So lots to unpack here. As I like to say, this is a who's who and through various different, um, parts of their career. We'll say Mark Merrow had been injured. We're going to come back and be repackaged. We're no longer doing a, a wild man 
persona. We're no longer doing Johnny be bad. Darren Drostoff still trying to get his arms around it after being a pro football player. Tiger Ali Singh, man, we think maybe he can represent a new emerging market for us, but that's maybe, all about India. Needs a little polish. Ahmed, yeah. Ahmed Johnson has dropped a bunch of weight, like 35 pounds here, trying to get back into better shape. Mark Henry still trying to a get into shape and B just hone those skills. Uh, Steve Blackman getting ready for prime time. Matt Bloom, we know is eventually going to be an NXT trainer himself, but along the way be a train and a handful of other ideas. Uh, Sean Stasiak, a, a heritage performer, legacy performer. Sean Morley had certainly wrestled in Mexico, but he's got to learn the WWE style. Adam Copeland had been tearing it up in, uh, uh, Canada and, and, and Michigan and the Indies, but now it's time for him to learn that WWE style and Takamichi Noku. Hey man, you got the high flying down. We need to maybe a more sustainable style and work on these interviews. So you got beginners, experts, everything in between here. And, uh, that probably creates a pretty fun environment for the talent because you've got, not everybody's a greenhorn, not everybody's an expert. So different skill levels mean that everybody can learn a little bit at a time, right? Yeah, something new. We want to teach those guys something new every week in the drills that uh, Dory and Tom, uh, 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 you know, ordered up. So, yeah, it was, uh, but I like the eclectic uh, roster. You know, Dory had so many trips to Japan that he was pretty pro- proficient in speaking Japanese. And so that came in handy to help, you know, get a little talk of Michinoku's headed in the right direction. He was a hell of a little hand. But honestly, uh, but he, he had to learn to speak some English or, or he wasn't going to have a very good chance. And he, he stayed with us for a while and did well, never was a problem and had a lot of talent. So, uh, but we had some keepers in there, as you just mentioned, you know, some of those guys, you know, then we brought in, uh, 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 Christian Jay Resso, and that was, uh, on the encouragement of Adam Copeland. Adam was mature beyond his years in that era. And so, uh, but we knew we had guys that we wanted to continue to invest teaching and our time in, and, uh, Adam was certainly nobody was, we, nobody, we didn't think had more potential than, and than Adam. I remember he, cause he worked cheap. I'm not saying that's a red badge of courage. You gotta, you know, they're not drawn houses. You gotta, you're creating a whole new overhead. And you know how that goes in, in building a business. Uh, it's always challenging. So, uh, we, we had a nice little nucleus there. My theory was if we get in this class, if we can get two to four guys that uh, can go, we believe we go to the next level, uh, then we've done right. Cause everybody's not going to make it more, are not going to make it. And if you can't take the fact that some guys are not making it uh, as a failure to your selection process or a failure to the coaching process, then, uh, cause it's not a failure. You, you didn't know. How do you, how do you know who's going to make it? Who isn't so, but we had, that was a nice little class. I'm glad we wrote all that. You got all that stuff written down because, you know, it's been so long ago. I can't remember who was there at certain times, but, uh, that little roster you just read about, I don't how many hall of famers are in that group. There's a lot a few. of them. A lot of them. Yeah. So that was, I felt like we did our job by things like that. Uh, it's, it's interesting to think of all the hall of famers in here, but there is a name that I don't know at all 
Randy Blackbeard. Does that ring a bell? Not really. I, I wonder if Randy was in Canada. I don't, I can't remember mm. not being honest folks. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I don't read these scripts right before we do the show. I like to just, just go and try to go and recall and things of that nature. Rodney was a big kid. Had he had his, he had this, he had the boxes checked for size more often than not when these guys don't make it, it's, uh, usually just, it's just aptitude, uh, for the business and, uh, you, you can't teach charisma impossible to teach charisma. You got it or you don't. And, uh, apparently we thought Rodney didn't have it. He was a big kid and, uh, and, 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 and enjoyable to be around. So he just, you know, our, our criteria, Conrad, and our expectations were high as hell. We put a lot of pressure on these kids. You got to be good. We're not going to bring you up. If you're average, we can hire average without having a camp. There's enough indie wrestlers around to hire average. We don't need you to be average. We need you to be extraordinary or have the potential to be extraordinary. So uh, it was a. Uh, a mixed bag and the guys that had some amateur had, excuse me, uh, had, uh, some indie experience, uh, like Val and, and Adam, uh, you know, they, they had a head start and they took advantage of it. All of those guys had good careers or especially edge. My God, he's made a ton of money. He's got a great wrestling marriage. He's got beautiful daughters. He's made, you know, millions of dollars. He's a hall of fame guy and he was in our first class. I'd say we did pretty good selecting him. Uh, yeah, I would think so. It's uh, it's remarkable the the success that that group has. Meltzer would say thus far the camp is being considered a big success, run along the lines of an all Japan dojo where Funk used to train younger wrestlers, including some of the best wrestlers of this generation. Uh, plans at present seem to indicate making this a regular deal. So is that the original idea? Let's just run one camp and see what happens, and we take it from there. We're just going to take it from there. We never thought about running one camp or 10 camps. We knew that the concept was solid, a solid idea. If we could make this, create a system around it, that would make it work even better. Uh, but we didn't have a, you know, we, we didn't have a, uh, you know, we didn't have a facility. There's things that we needed to have in place that we didn't have. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were just going to go with it as long as it was still being productive. And as we know, the concept is productive today after all these years, you know, how they got their own TV show on Tuesday nights on USA. So it's a, uh, it's a concept that worked for all of us and the talent more importantly, uh, who would be the person recommending talent to come into these dojos is, is this a list that you start? Is it something that Briscoe's working on or is it a collaborative effort? How do we do, how do we work on that? It was a collaborative effort. Uh, I didn't want one guy's opinion because what one guy likes, the other guy's not going to like. Uh, so we didn't want that to happen. I didn't want to get to a political bullshit. And in case you haven't heard Conrad pro wrestling behind the scenes is very political. <laughs> I hate to break that to everybody out there, but, uh, that's kind of where we looked at that. It was just really. It was a perfect storm for us. I was so, if I, if Vince had said, look, I want you to get off the air and just do this. I would have, I might've had a boo-boo face for a couple of three days, uh, but it, I would have been happy to do it. I love it. You know, I, I wanted to be a coach for so 
much of my life in football, particularly specifically that I thought that, uh, this is a perfect job for me. I like recruiting. I like looking at videos. I like interviewing the kids. I like talking to their families. I, I, I approached it as if we were stocking the shelves of a sports franchise. And that's what we are in wrestling, whether it's AEW now where I work or, or WWE, uh, who's really taking this whole concept to the next level. And I'm proud of what they've done. It's really smart. So, uh, but we, we we're just going to take a, a, a class, so shall we say a class at a time. And, uh, that concept helped us keep our overhead manageable because we weren't investing big monies in buildings and things of that nature, equipment things. So, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I think we did it right, but we started off slow because again, it's a, it's a new, uh, item, new line item on a budget and it came out of my budget. So I had to make sure that I wanted to make sure my budget was up to speed and, uh, we only, we didn't have an unlimited budget like they seemingly have now. We had to watch our p pennies and that's, uh, you know, I, I, I use the illustration. I think, I think that, uh, uh, edge and Christian, I kid them about this, that they were, they, their first contract was about 200 a week. Yeah. And, uh, now on today's marketplace, that would be, you know, you get put in jail for stealing as Ernie Ladd would say. You're stealing from the man Bundy, you fat bastard. You're stealing from the man. And we didn't want to steal from the man. So it was, uh, it was, uh, it, we were trying to learn on the, on the run, Connie, you ever get into, you ever get into a situation where you're learning on as you go? Oh, of course. Every day. Oh, uh, every day. Yes. When you start, when you came up with the, the, uh, your, your star starcade festivals, yeah. events. You didn't know the sun is going to work or not. No, you're just trying so you plan to do. You plan to do one good one. Yep. Let's put our best foot forward and see how we can make this thing work and be even more productive. And that's kind of the concept that we had there with, with the, with the, with the developmental guys. Let's try a class. Let's get them through it. Let's, we, let's, let's evaluate how we're training and, and, and take it from there. And you asked about the talent. Everybody wanted their a relative involved. It's amazing to me, uh, how wrestling is, there's so many cousins and family members. So the, the least of our worries were, uh, getting talent to look at what we realized is that everybody's going to try to get their nephew or their uncle or whatever, a job. And, and a lot of times to appease the, the existing talents, we would we'd adhere to that. We'd give them a shot, bring them in for two or three weeks, see what kind of aptitude they have. They're gonna, can you, are they on time every day? Things are just a fundamental soundness. And so, uh, I, I think that we did it the right way in that regard. Small steps have led to major developments. As I mentioned, it's hard to believe that going from that warehouse there at 120 Hamilton to, uh, to what they have today is nothing short of extraordinary. I, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm legitimately asking, cause I don't know. I don't think AEW has an official developmental system, 
but it does feel like QT school, the nightmare factory in Atlanta and dark sort of serve as an opportunity to train raw athletes and then give guys reps. Would that be fair to say? Yes. It'd be very fair to say. Uh, and that's why I think one of the reasons dark, the dark show that airs on YouTube on Tuesdays was, was created. Yeah. It to get guys reps, to get them in the ring, work live matches in front of an audience. And, uh, you know, I think that I was always concerned about are some of the guys that have a little bit more experience on the Indies, are they going to take this opportunity as seriously? I'm talking about AEW now, uh, by being on a YouTube show. And I was skeptical at the beginning because I thought some of these older guys are going to look at this like, oh, bullshit. I, I can make more money on the end. Well, you can make more money on the Indies. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what the Indies pay anymore. I don't, I don't keep up with the pay, but, uh, point being is we, we had a, we had a, it, it, it worked out uh, again, those small steps is what we had to do. I couldn't go spend a bunch of Vince's money and, and without having results, when you got two or three guys that you can earmark or circle or highlight, uh, then all of a sudden everything is justified. So, uh, that's kind of where we want to get to make the boss happy, but to do that, we had to have some results. So in other words, we had to have some stars being developed and we showed him who those guys were and he liked it. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, it's no surprise that you guys were looking for some better help. And this podcast is sponsored by better help online therapy. Relationships take work, boys and girls, and a lot of us will drop anything to go help someone we care about. We'll all go out of our way to treat other people well, but how often do we give ourselves the same treatment? This month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to take care of your most important relationship, the one you have with yourself. Whether it's hitting the gym, making time for your haircut, or even trying therapy, you are your greatest asset. So invest the time and effort into yourself like you do for other people. And I got to tell you, I, uh, I needed a little bit of this myself back in 2006. I actually started therapy and man, I, I learned a lot. I started to feel a lot better. I learned some new coping skills. I learned some new skills for myself. Just felt like a, I was making progress. I don't think I could have done that. Just talking to friends or family. I needed to talk to a professional. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat, chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try. See why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. That's strong, man. This, 2 million plus. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Grilling JR with Jim Ross listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash JR. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash JR. Betterhelp.com slash JR. Jim, there's a lot of talk about mental health and being good to yourself. And yep. I know a lot of people start to get down on themselves around the holidays. They think about, oh, man. I mean, that's just rampant. And I think this is an important message for a lot of our listeners, myself included, man happens to all of us. So why not do what over 2 million other people have tried? It worked for me. Therapy really worked for me. Can't recommend it enough. B E T T E R H E L P.com slash J R 
going to save yourself 10% and start feeling a little better, Jim. Absolutely. It's common sense. Uh, you can't punch holes in the sponsor. Uh, and, and so many of us are leery of committing to something like this because, uh, we perceive that it's a sign of weakness and certainly in the wrestling business, the last thing you want is for your boss, your decision maker to look at you as a weak person. Uh, that's just where it's always been. It's not going to change, but I'm, I'm with you, Conrad. This is a, this is really a, a no brainer. Uh, and, uh, and you, you, do, you can find happiness. It's within you. Yes. At betterhelp.com and slash JR is what I suggest. You save some money and, and you help yourself. And boy, you talk about your, your significant others appreciating this. They may appreciate this more than anything you can give them. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, you know, when you're on a plane and they talk about, boy, if the mask comes down, put it on yourself and then your child. You got to take care of you, man. We get so busy taking care of everybody else. Sometimes we forget to take care of ourselves. Give it a shot. Betterhelp.com forward slash JR. Let's talk about, uh, your second camp where you guys were indeed looking for some better help. It comes out in the observer, May 18th, 1998. The WWF is doing another camp this week under Dory Funk among those at the camp or solo five, two, Mike Tierney, John Tenta, Paul Silva, Aaron O'Grady. Vic Grimes, Sean Stasiak, Matt Bloom, Andrew Martin, George Phillips, Emery Hale, David Heath, Darren Drostoff, and Dan Severt. Of course, we know a lot of these names jump off the page. Fatu, we know, is going to become Rikishi. He'd been around before, but he's here for a fresh right. coat of paint. John Tenta, of course, same story. The former Earthquake used to headline with uh, Hulk Hogan, but maybe let's See if we can't get him in some different shape here, get him TV ready under a different presentation. We know it works out. He joins the oddities. Aaron O'Grady, of course, is going to become crash Holly. Uh, Vic Grimes would find a little bit of fame for himself in ECW falling off a balcony with new Jack. Uh, Andrew Martin is going to become test and have quite a little run. Emery Hale was a name. I didn't know right away. Turns out that's the wall over in WCW, but here he was in 1998. And David Heath, we know, is going to go on to be Gangrel, and, well, the rest is history. But, man, this is quite a class. Again, you're batting a 1,000 so far. What's the, the number one trait? You've told us before when you run a talent relations, reliability is number one. But when it right. comes to training a new talent, just an athlete who's not necessarily a veteran in the, in the pro wrestling game, are you looking for somebody who's coachable, or what's the, what's the primary attribute you're looking for? Well, you mentioned the reliability and that's number one. Yes. Uh, you know, we want you to practice it at to start at eight o'clock in the ring. You don't show up at five minutes to eight, uh, common sense things, uh, teaching people to be better businessmen. Uh, but you can notice this class, uh, had a lot of size to it. And I think that's what came from, came from Vince. Uh, you know, he, he liked some of the guys that we had in that first camp, uh, you know, how could you not like edge and et cetera, et cetera, that went on and become great, truly great. Uh, but we got some bigger guys in that second class. All those guys you mentioned, uh, were huge 300 pound range or six, six, that kind of thing. And so that was always Vince's uh, caveat size. Uh, simply put this, uh, put it this way. Vince loved guys that if they walked in an airport, heads would turn. So that could be their physique, that could be their height, that could be their weight. It just that some guys just exuded charisma. 
So like Dwayne Johnson, uh, you know, he turned heads wherever he went. He turned heads the day I was recruiting him at the little cafe, the little Cuban cafe, when every woman in the, in the restaurant came over to see if we needed something more to drink. And I, I told this story in some of my one man shows that, you know, God almighty, he, he was, they didn't even work there. They're just, they saw him and saw this six foot five, 270 pound, handsome guy. They just wanted to get another step closer to him. Right. And then the guys are in that restaurant, Conrad, you know, they knew who I was from TV all those years, but they hadn't seen rock. They just, but they're curious. So they'd come over and talk to me, but be looking at him because they're wrestling fans. And they looked at this new guy as a, boy, this kid's got a, he's got something, there's something here. He looks, I like, the, I like the way this guy looks. And of course the women had their own motives and, uh, but it, it, it gave you a good thumbnail sketch into the little telescope into their personalities or what their personalities could be. So, uh, but a lot of those guys you mentioned, you know, uh, the, I, I'm sure that if I look back on it, you know, a guy like Fatu, Fatu had so much charisma, still does. He's a hell of a nice guy, got his own thing going. And, uh, he had amazing agility for somebody his size. Same thing we said about Yokozuna, except, uh, Fatu was not as big. He didn't get in the 600 pound dilemma. So, uh, we got, we got bigger in that, in that next class at the insistence of the chairman. I, um, I'm fascinated talking about, you know, how this all continued to evolve because at first it's not a full-time thing and just running camps. So even though some guys may have some fundamentals and they feel like they're getting the basics down, they need reps. And so now that USWA has gone under, well, there's an opportunity for a new independent promotion in Memphis power pro wrestling. Randy Hales is going to open up there. Longtime friend of Jerry Lawler, or at least acquaintance of Jerry Lawler. I'm not sure. But the result is Kurt Angle goes down there and gets some real wrestling experience in front of crowds, trying to do some, some mic work. And we recently saw even Kurt Angle, uh, retweet his first promo here, which was, well, everybody starts somewhere. Uh, but, but this is important that, that it's one thing to do it in a dojo environment, in a gym environment. It's another to do it when there's real asses in seats, as you like to say, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's how you judge your, it's your material getting over. Uh, it'd be like a, a stand-up comedian. I've used that analogy a lot on the show that, uh, you know, the, the stand-up comedian comparison to a pro wrestler is that you're, you're creating content in the ring, uh, and it's your audience reacting to it. You're a comedian. Are they laughing at your jokes? Are you slowed down enough to where you can give a, a setup, and then your punchline and then wait for the laughs, uh, to start another, do another round of jokes, joke number two type thing. So it was, uh, there's a lot of similarities to that. And there still is to this very day, uh, on, uh, comparing a wrestler to a standup comedian on how they interact with the audience, not the fact that they could do comedy. I don't believe I'm not a big, a guy that believes that pro wrestling should be dotted where the strengths are, uh, usually comedy. I think comedy is important. I think when it's real and organic and natural, it's a great thing, but to go out of your way to try to be funny and be now we want you to be a, a trained pro wrestler and a comedian. 
I don't think it works. Well, one of the things that, uh, you probably disagree about, but I can't wait to take, get your, uh, your take here. Jim Cornette was not a fan of the dojo that we're talking about. He said, quote, I hated the entire dojo setting and found the wrestlers training with sounds of hammers, banging and nauseating smells of sawdust and paint was no way for a wrestler to learn the craft. Uh, I mean, I guess there are some drawbacks to the facility, but it feels like it was working. Is this yeah. just a Cornette's personal preference or do you think maybe, okay, it was less than ideal. We should have done something different. Well, I think Corny would have been happier if he was running it. Right. Uh, he's just that old school booker guy. He should be in to total control. We gave him and Danny and all those cats down there in Louisville total control. You know, I didn't know what programs are running. We sent Brock Lesnar there. I figured, you know, with Cornette and I would discuss it. We discussed everybody. I think Corny would have been happier sailing his own ship. And that's why I tried to loosen up a little bit on uh, the creative. I didn't do any booking. I didn't say, well, I want you to do this, this guy on TV that happened later and it never worked. It's not a good thing. Uh, so I just think, I don't think Corny, I think Corny appreciated the fact that we're trying to train guys and teach the guys respect for the business with a, with a great veteran like Dory jr. Uh, and see what, uh, how they, how they've come out in the wash. So I, I, uh, I just think maybe corny would like to have been more in charge. And I tried to do that. I tried to loosen it up and Danny Davis ran the business side down there in OVW. And then you had Al snow and Cornette Cornette was writing TV and Al was helping train along with Rip Rogers. So our staff was good. I think just think corny probably would have in hindsight, I might be wrong here, but I think he probably would have been more comfortable uh, sailing his own ship as opposed to we're, we're putting the boat together and we're going to load it up with talent. Now, now here they are, they're, they're sailing. They're all yours. I mean, he, I don't think he was comfortable quite with that. He had to get used to it. Let's say, but they did look the results that OVW got for WWE scary. Good, scary. Good. You know, that one, the one class we sent there, uh, headlined by Brock, Cena, Orton. Uh, Shelton Benjamin, Dave Batista. Uh, I thought we did a pretty good job of recruiting and selecting and signing guys. All those guys have had very significant careers. Headline WrestleManias made millions of dollars. And that's what I judged on, uh, quite frankly. So it was, uh, but you always have that issues. You always have those things, Connie, where you, you're trying to get everybody in place. There's so much insecurity in pro wrestling, even when it comes time to the, uh, you know, the, the instructors and things, uh, just it's, it's hard to give up something, you know, cause Cornette would get pissed off about somebody coming to TV and, and, you know, our fault was to not check and see what the guys were booked. Uh, and we screwed some bookings up for him because we bring guys in and, you know, if you ask a guy like Brock Lesnar, you want to, you want to go to. Covington, Kentucky and work on Saturday night and drive the ring truck and, and haul the ring and help put the ring up and all those things. Or do you want to go do a dark match on raw or hell that's easy. So that's kind of where we were there. We just, we were learning as we went. And, uh, when you do that concept, you're bound to make a few mistakes. I, um, 
I've often heard Bruce talk about how man Cornette just did not love Connecticut. Didn't like the life, didn't like the politics and he was ready to, uh, have a change. So as the story goes, he comes to you and says something like, why don't you let me run a school and a promotion in Louisville and we can all do it correctly. And of course, at the time, I believe Danny Davis is running OVW, but the plan I believe is for Cornette to buy half the company and move down there and start the relationship. Did you like this idea? I mean, it, it, Cornette has even talked about, man, he thought if he, if he hung around here much longer, he's going to have a freaking heart attack. He just yeah. has to get out of here and do something different. Obviously, you, you know, you have a great mind and talent in Cornette and you know that this dojo concept has been working. So maybe, Hey, having a territory much like we did once before with the USWA is like a partner territory. It could work. And clearly you trust Cornette and he's reliable, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Is that an easy sell for you? And then is it an even easier sell for Vince? Easy sell for me and, and, and subsequently an easy sell for Vince. Uh, you know, we had a little staff there that, that, and we paid the, their company. We had the talent under contract and they're, so they were getting paid their weeklies. If you sign a guy for, uh, a uh, hundred grand a year, uh, you're going to pay him about $1,923 a week. So we will pick up the tab for that. The monies they made, uh, at a spot show, the little payoffs they kept and, uh, but I had, I had, I had the utmost confidence in Corny. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I tried to think, where did all of this fall to Smoky Mountain? Is Smoky Mountain already come yeah, and gone? Or, Smoky Mountain's come and gone. That's right. But, but I worked for Corny. Uh, you know, Vince, Vince actually sent me to help Cornette. Yes. Uh, as far as working on the air. And, uh, but I've been around Cornette since God Almighty Conrad, the eighties. I, I saw, I know what kind of mind he has. Right creative. He loves to take ownership of something. And that's, that's good uh, business in my view. So, uh, but he was a, he was a very valuable, very, very valuable in organizing that whole scenario there in, in Louisville. And again, you go back to the one criteria results who out of that OVW group became a star, a bunch of them. And you can't discount the uh, contributions of Cornette and Danny's staff that they had there, uh, cause they got results and boy, that's what we were needing. The, uh, the obvious question here is what about Dory? I mean, it feels like Dory after running these camps and seemingly doing a good job would have had some sort of an opportunity here, but there's been a rumor that perhaps he had a circumstance that meant he wouldn't be returning. And, and of course the rumor is maybe his wife, Marty was was difficult or maybe alienated herself from folks in the office or is that all just much ado about nothing or what well, there's a little truth. No, there's a little truth to that. There's okay. a little truth to that. I think, uh, I think Dory basically, if you don't want to cut right to the chase had overstayed his welcome. It, it was a tough deal for him too. You know, he's, he was living in Florida, nice place, you know, Ocala where he's still got his facility there. I think to this day, uh, but I think it is, it, we are changing systems and that's how I explained it to junior, you know, we're just, we're, we're, we're growing, we're moving forward. We want to get out of the warehouse and we want more, we want more structure and we want guys to be, you know, to be, be held accountable for all aspects of their professional life. And we need guidance and we need leadership in that scenario. So, uh, I think that's kind of where that came as I don't, 
Dory didn't leave there because of Marty, but it's a good, it's a good dirt story. Right. My God, God, it's great. Darn. <laughs> Just make it up. You know, <laughs> well, fast forward May 3rd, 1999. Here's the observer. Dory Funk was released from his role as training camp instructor. The idea is that they're moving the camps to Louisville under Jim Cornette when he moves there over the summer and Danny Davis among those in this past week's camp were Jason Arndt, who was the yep. star of the camp, Mark Henry, Tom Howard, Russ McCullough, Stefan Gamlin, Robbie Dix, and Rico Constantino. The idea is in progress and it's to essentially set up a minor league system. Wrestlers will be sent to a Louisville circuit under Cornette, which would be like class a baseball and then move up to power pro in Memphis, which would be like triple a, and then being brought up to the big leagues. Was that the original plan? Start in Louisville, then go to Memphis, then WWE yeah. feels like yeah, that changed was, at some we point. We thought we had to have some sort of progress. We had to have progress. We had to have goals for those guys to try to attain and, and levels to try to earn their spot on that, those rosters. But that was some, something like that was what we wanted to do. Uh, it just basically ended up where, uh, we can't, we, we became so dependent on the results that were being earned and achieved by OVW. They became like the number one, uh, developmental territory. Uh, and I like their system. I like working with Danny, Danny Davis, sharp guy, honest, always give you a straight answer. He answered his, he answered his freaking phone. Uh, he just, uh, was a hell of a guy and he was a, a, a tremendous wrestler in his day. One of the nightmares, mass wrestler, great worker. He was just small. So he never got his chance to prove how good he was on a big, big stage like WWE because of his size and his age. This gave him a chance to, to have ownership and to feel more good about himself and his contributions to the business that he's devoted most of his life to. So, uh. Uh, I th that the, that was the original goal, you know, stair stepping it. So after you, when you get out of OVW, where do you go? Uh, and we use Memphis and power pro as a, as a site, Randy Hales was a friend of Lawler's yeah. Randy Hales was a promoter. He lived there in Memphis. Uh, never had a crossword with him ever. A uh, good guy and responsible. So, uh, you know, we, we, that was, our, that was our. That was our big goal. We're going to have to have another, before they come to WWE, JR, they got to go to someplace else. Right. Well, we found out that someplace else was not as good as what we already had in place. At least that's my take on it. I don't think there's any argument to that. OVW is going to develop quite the reputation. We're about to get into it, but before we do, I want to ask in your opinion, what was the relationship like between Vince McMahon and Jim Cornette here in 1999? Contentious. I don't know that it, I don't know that that Corny's relationship with Vince was ever changed. I mean, they never got along great, but I think, uh, you know, Corny had respect for the business. Therefore Vince got some of that respect as well for what he had built in WWE and creating an environment where a lot of people like Cornette and myself and others could make a living in the things we love to do. And that was working pro wrestling. So, uh, but they, they never really got along. I think Bruce would probably sign off on that deal as well. Uh, they just didn't, they had different philosophies, but they had this, a lot of similarities in, the, in some of the fundamental things, as far as, you know, they both agreed that 
we can't get better if we don't have our talents working with other talents that are better than the rookies uh, and are getting plenty of work. So in addition to doing the spot shows in the weekend, I alluded, it's not a joke. Brock Lesnar was the foreman of the, of the ring crew. He drove the ring truck. And then all the other boys uh, were uh, responsible for putting the ring up when they got to the town that they're, they're running for the spot show. So, but the Cornette and Vince had a lot of similar, similar, uh, uh, likes and preferences and things of that nature. But, you know, there's also that, you know, Cornette, again, I'll go back to this. He, he wanted to sail his own ship. I don't have a problem with that. I didn't, I had no problem with that at all, but it was, uh, I guess oil and water is a way to put it. You know, yeah. they, they both realized that they, the other had value. But at some point in time, you know, I knew the smart thing for me to do if, if I want to continue to do business with Cornette and, and continue to be able to pay him, uh, what to, he, uh, negotiated for, uh, uh, that I needed to get his ass out of Connecticut or Vince is going to come to me and abruptly say, I don't want to see Cornette around here anymore. And that could have happened. That could have happened. It didn't because we got corny to Louisville. And I thought Cornette in Louisville was a pretty damn good deal. He's making a, a decent living. He's running his own territory. He's doing booking his own TV. I, I thought that, uh, it was, that was a good, good timing. It kept him on board and out of Vince's uh, line of sight. Uh, but you know, it's, he was too valuable. And that's what I explained to Vince. He's too damn, he may be crazy, Vince. You may not ever agree with his philosophy on certain things, but he's really good at other things he does that nobody else wants to do. Right. And he did a real good job for us. So, but getting him out of Connecticut probably extended his shelf life immensely, uh, during that era. So we know that, uh, Cornette's going to open up camp here in the summer of 99. What's your process with him with talent? Are you doing a weekly check-in does he send a report does he send you a tape what does that look like uh we communicated on the phone i'd go to i'd travel to louisville uh you know semi-regularly and then i had access danny would make sure i got tapes so we could see how some of these kids were doing and how he's how they're being utilized on tv but more often than not i was fine with it i just wanted to stay busy and keep moving forward uh, and improving their game, therefore improving their life. Uh, happy talents are talents that feel good about themselves are a lot more likely to be, uh, successful than those that aren't. And Cornette was the, that, you know, he was a workaholic and he, he used all those years of tape trading and the territory stuff. There's no, there's no bigger student of the game than Jim Cornette even to, today. That's right. Uh, you know, he's kind of become that Howard Stern of podcasting. You know, he's, he's got a nice little, he's got two podcasts. I think he does. Yeah. So, uh, uh, it was, I just thought it was working out real well, but, but it would not have worked out real well. If I had tried to make corny become the, uh, run the showrunner in Connecticut, cause that would last about as long as a fart in church ain't gonna, ain't gonna hang around long. You, uh, you brought up Cornette's podcast. I want to give a shout out to uh, his co-host, Brian last, who I think recently lost his father and 
man, that's never good. Uh, I didn't know that. Sorry to hear that. Hate to hear that thoughts and prayers for him and the whole last family, man. That's, uh, I'm lucky enough to have my dad here and I don't even want to think about that day. So thoughts and prayers for them for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about OVW. So you're getting up and running here. The early class, man, goodness gracious, Brock Lesnar, John Cena, Batista, Randy Orton. Was this just right time, right place? I mean, you want to talk about an all-star cast who deserves some of the credit for helping. I mean, I, I think we know that that you and Brucey both saw John Cena out in, in California. And I think right. you and Briscoe had, had Lesnar on your radar, but these guys are coming from far and wide and they couldn't wind up in more capable hands based on the results. I mean, they speak for themselves. Do they not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, uh, they do. We, it, the, uh, various sources, uh, there was not one specific way that we got prospects, you know, the Lesnar stories, what it is. Uh, you know, Gerald and I started recruiting Brock Lesnar when he was a junior in college at the university of Minnesota. Uh, you know, we made a deal with the head coach that we wouldn't sign because Brock would have signed right after his junior year. If we had gone for it, uh, I gave my word, uh, through Gerald and Jay Robinson was a coach in Minnesota. He was, a, he was a teammate at Oklahoma state in the wrestling team with uh, Jerry. So I, I had, uh, motivated or wanted to motivate Jerry just to, to, to live with this kid because we can't miss on him. We got to get him. And once people would realize we're recruiting him and we thought that he was going to, you know, he was favored to win the NCAA national championship as a heavyweight, the best heavyweight in college wrestling at any level. Uh, you know, we made a deal with Jay Robinson that we would not sign Brock because Brock wanted money. Brock wanted money right away and he was tired of being broke. Uh, I think he was probably getting tired of the, the, tr- the camps and the, and the, the training and the practices and being in school and structured situation that wasn't his idea of a good time. Uh, Bruce and I both saw John Cena working for, uh, Rick Bassman, uh, out there in LA area, Southern California. And, uh, He's just, uh, he was a can't miss guy. He's the guy that I, I, I took a red eye back from, uh, California and told Vince, I said, I just saw the guy that's going to headline WrestleMania in about five years. And I think he thought I was high or something. Uh, I just had that belief that John Cena was it. That was, uh, was it. Then you look at guys like, uh, Batista. Well, you know, his look alone, you talk about turning heads in airports, you know, he had turned heads in a in a school for the blind, he was scary looking. And, and as we have seen in this movie success, a very bright, talented guy who the hell would have known that the Leviathan was had that, had those acting chops and he did. And he does. I saw him on a preview or on a preview, I guess you'd say of, a of something here. He's out now that he's in and I'm really happy for Dave. He's a real sweetheart of a guy. I remember he, when Jan got killed, uh, not too long after that, few, few months, maybe not even that long. I had Dave on my old podcast and, uh, he cried like a baby. And, uh, of course made me cry like a baby. It's a sensitive guy. And, you know, Jan was always a, she was always a fan of the talent. 
and uh, was always there for them, no matter what. And then Randy was a little more challenging. I loved his style. I loved his natural aptitude. He was coordinated. You know, he was, he was, he had, I would say he might've been considered to have social issues, but none of those guys I just mentioned didn't, didn't have social issues. They're young, they're green, they're on the road. It's a, you know, it's a, it was a hard, hard thing to, uh, for some of them and that we work with them and sometimes guys get in trouble or they'd have issues. I might write about that in my next book, uh, because they all have happy endings to those stories, but the, but along the way, the journey was a little bit challenging for some guys, women, Conrad, women, what, what's the biggest obstacle women, if you're heterosexual. Yeah. And most of them were, I believe as if I, I don't care, but that's going to start another damn discussion. I'll be like uh Jerry Jones picture in the eighth grade or something that uh, that little rock picture that's making the news now, uh, about racism and things of that nature, which I didn't like to get into. It's horrible. It's horrible. There's no justification for it whatsoever. Uh, but Randy got dis- dishonorably discharged as we know public information from the Marines and events, you know, it was one of, one of his more ceremonial armed forces days. Didn't want to hire him. I said, well, you know, he's got a, his grandpa was great. His dad was great. Great for you for many years. This kid's a baby. He is immature. You know, his dad was on the road most of this young man's life. So he didn't have a, a strong father figure always in his home. I said, I believe he deserves a chance. And by the way, boss, didn't you, uh, get some second chances? Uh, cause Vince knew his dad didn't want him to be in the business. We've talked about that. People have talked about that for years. Yeah. Let's let, let's, why don't we give him a chance? I said, he's going to have a contract that has 90 day outs. That means he really has, I can sign him for a five-year contract, but we can get out of it with uh, uh 90 days notice. That's, it was typical. That wasn't, oh, he's, they're screwing these guys. No, just do your job, work hard, improve, do the right things. And you got a great contract, but. If you do do the bed, uh, then, uh, you, 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 we can get rid of you. You gotta have checks and balances. Right. So I think that's what salvaged Randy's uh, career. There is I told Vince, well, if he doesn't work out, I'll get rid of him. And, uh, I ain't got no problem doing that if I have to, but I don't think we'll ever have to worry about that. We did have to settle some, not settle, but we had to address some issues. But like I said earlier, Conrad, all those guys in that picture, that graphic has had challenges to varying degrees in varying levels of their profession, but boy, the upside, that's what you got to gamble on the upside. is what you plan for. And, and I think we did well with those guys. So that's kind of what we, we did. And, and of course, Danny and Cornette, they, and they knew that we were high on these guys. They knew that they were priorities. And I wanted them to be treated as such, give them responsibilities, put them in matches so they could work returns. And I don't want anybody to come talk, talk to me about that. They did two jobs on TV in the last month. I don't care. What's it? What difference does it make? Are you shitting me? This stuff is fiction. So I got a lot bigger fish to fry than to worry about 
how somebody's feelings are going to be hurt because they had to do a quote unquote job. We say that like it's like it's dirty, right? It's not. No. If you're really good at putting somebody over, you know how to protect yourself, and you know that it's a, it's not a bad thing. So anyway, those guys, uh, they had to be, they had to be coached up, and they had they had, you know, I wasn't going to give up on them, and there were opportunities to do that. So, but we didn't. Thank God. While OVW is getting cranked up, Memphis Power Pro Wrestling is going to fold. So now it's official. It's all Cornette. Uh, but there are affiliations that are set up around the same time. IWA Puerto Rico and ultimate pro wrestling UPW. Um, there's an old saying that we've heard a lot that I want to bring up to you. Don't let Vince see someone too early. And we've heard reports of this where he just falls in love with a guy, tries to fast track him. And sometimes maybe they're not quite ready for it. Does right. this environment eliminate some of that? A little bit because he didn't, with them being in, in uh, uh, Louisville, you know, Vincent going to pass through Louisville. I'm going to be in Louisville next week, JR. I'm going to go back to the guys. He ain't going to Louisville. Now, when they were in the warehouse, the same facility that voiceovers and TV production was being done, he passed through those doors all the time. Right. And would see guys. So, uh, we protected ourselves a little bit on that, on that matter by, uh, when we moved it to, to Louisville, but you know, if, if, if guys had a real good TV match, uh, and I knew the guys that Vince had a, a special interest in like Brock, uh, for example, uh, then, you know, we would, I'd showcase Brock, give, give Vince a three minute match or something. And of course, somebody's going to say, well, what can you teach them? And what can they learn in three minutes? You can learn to manage three minutes. You can maximize your fucking minutes. That's what you can do. Don't tell me about how much match time they got to have and who's going to go over and who's getting a push brother and all that shit. I could care less. Never cared. Somebody said, I saw something. Well, Lesnar did a job on television. He's 20 years old. He doesn't, he just learned how to tie his wrestling boots here a while back. You kidding me? Right. So, you know, it's just. You had some of the old wrestling elements came along for the ride, but for me, it never sold. You couldn't sell me yay or nay. If a guy was his one loss record, didn't mean shit to me. So, uh, and, and it just didn't, I just didn't see the, I want you to learn to block and tackle, right? Not how pretty you are on a team pitcher. And we had some, some bitches could block and tackle brother. Well said. Uh, the purchase of WCW brings uh, a whole lot of, uh, new talent into the fold and maybe an upheaval of this developmental system. And so as a result, we're going to go ahead and, and, and create a new association with Les Thatcher and the heartland wrestling association. What can you tell us about how this came to be? I mean, was this, would this have just been way too much for OVW to try to tackle? Well, uh, it's getting too crowded and, and, and guys, because when you get too crowded like that, Conrad. Uh, you end up shortchanging some of the talents uh, on their one-on-one instruction. And, and, you know, there's some more to this thing than just learning how to, uh, execute a headlock takeover. I need to know that you can tell time. I need to know that you can be at work on time. I need to know that you're working on your body and, uh, all those things play out. Right. So, uh, 
No, I, I, I think, I think that, uh, we needed a, another place. Les had a gym. He had a facility. Les Thatcher, by the way, is a hell of a trainer Yes, and a, and a damn good man. So I'm getting these guys around quality human beings because we want quality human beings developed so that when you, when they, if they get lucky enough to come to, uh, the, the, the main roster that they're prepared mentally and physically, well, I'll, I'll tell you this, a lot of guys that their biggest enemies are themselves. They want to shortcut it. They want to take, you know, they want the big money. They want to, you know, it's like a box in a hen house. They tasted the chicken. Now they want to, they want some more. So that could be good, but you got to manage it. So Les was just a very valuable asset, a good man still is still going strong, does seminars and things like that. But I did some broadcasting with Les, uh, in smoky mountain, always love working with him. Great voice, bad his pipes. I might make a living at this stuff, but he's a, he was a hell of a guy. And I'm glad that we got to work with him for the short time, seemingly that we did. Uh, but things kept evolving. Things kept evolving. I saw on this sheet, uh, on our format here today that I can't remember where it was, but the, but we spent $1.1 million, uh, of Vince's money on that the developmental program in one year. And that was, uh, about what I had to play with. I spent everything I had. Yeah. I didn't so you know, I spent every, every, every ounce of money that we could, we could squeeze and to Vince's credit, he approved everything. So it was, it was good. It was a good, he saw the value. He saw that we had reached our max on repackaging the bulldog as a figure of speech. Yeah. Well, it comes out, you know, not too long after you start the heartland thing that's over, you cut ties with heartland and you let a bunch of the folks go easy money, John Heidenreich, Mike Sanders, BJ Payne, Horace Hogan, uh, on and on and on. Uh, a lot of the folks are moved over. Or a handful of folks are moved back to OVW. Some go to the main roster, but that's a wrap. And Meltzer would say, overall, the word was that Jim Ross, who heads the developmental program, was ordered to cut the budget roughly in half because of the downturn in company business. And of course, we've talked about it a lot here on the program. On the heels of WrestleMania 17, when Austin turns heel, well, business starts to take a tumble. And yep. as that does, well, we get new budgets. And, uh, here's where it comes in 2000, 2001, the company spent $1.1 million for the fiscal year on its developmental program. There was no specific figure listed in any company documents at this point for 0102 listing how much was spent on developmental. But if he's saying you're going to have to cut it in half, this is a tough deal. And, uh, you know, we have to do what we have to do. And Meltzer would once again, state with the state of the industry, as it is with new stars being badly needed, worse than perhaps any time in the history of the business without any companies left for the WWE to raid. This is a program that needs to be expanded, not constricted. The company idea is to have a 20 man developmental roster based in Louisville with weekly reports and more frequently sending road agents and office people to Louisville to keep talent or tabs on the talent. Listen, I could get this, I guess, maybe if we thought it was too crowded and there were too many folks, uh, maybe we're looking for more quality over quantity. Maybe we had a lot of bodies that we were hoping one day could, uh, you know, live up to their potential. But if we just kept our a players and we cut our bottom, whatever it is, percentage wise, then maybe that's really what we're looking for. It's not necessarily somebody who could be on the main roster, but somebody who could be a top guy. Is that right? 
basically it? That's it. I wanted to, I signed guys. I used to tell Vince this all the time and he, he, he bought into it because it's true that when I sign guys or I finalized deals with guys that other talents that were brought to me, uh, you always looked at it in one way. Can this individual potentially at some point in the sooner than later, uh, can they headline WrestleMania? Okay. Go back and look at that little uh, graphic you had Orton, Brock, Cena, Batista, all headline WrestleManias. Now I can't tell you how much money that made the company, their, their performances that, that their respective WrestleManias. Right. But it's pretty damned impressive. Yeah. So, uh, that alone, those four guys that, that, that alone would allow you to validate the system in general. So, but you know, I wasn't on the inside of a, of a budgetarily, uh, budgetary budget a, uh, aspects. Easy for me. I'm sorry. Uh, but you know, we, but we had some other guys here. I, th- I, I've always said that Shelton Benjamin was the best athlete I signed in that group. Best pure athlete we had. He just didn't have the personality at that time to, uh, stand up. You know, you got Cena. just looking at Brock. He got to say a word. He's a, he's a freaking Greek God and he looks invincible and all these things, but personality wise, Orton had it, Batista had it, didn't know he had it, but he had it. And then he finally discovered it and it became a huge star as we discussed earlier in movies and so forth. So, uh, I, I, I just, that system worked because of the foundation we built on those four guys. I just, we just talked about those WrestleMania headliners. And, and if we, if we, we weren't going to get there by repackaging the bulldog, wasn't going to happen. And somebody's a bulldog fan or family member, get pissed off at you want. I'm not just pointing out Davey. The issue was, was that that was the concept. Well, we'll get this guy. He's a pretty good worker. We just need to get the new Bruce Pritchard coat of paint on him and he'll be okay. That's like my old deal. I get kidded about a lot. Just teach him a new hold. Right. And, uh, there's more to it than that, but. It's, it makes good, good cannon fodder, good jokes. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's a scenario there. You only got to get a few hits. And my goal was always WrestleMania. If I thought a guy had a chance to make work WrestleMania and get over and be a main eventer and in that level, I'm going for it. Let's talk about, uh, a criticism from Dave Meltzer. He says, essentially. Oh. That because we're recruiting top athletes, we're looking for a certain type and without Eric Bischoff and to a greater extent, Paul Heyman, we might not have the Chris Jericho's and Chris Benoit's and Eddie Guerrero's or the Dudley boys or Mysterio or Tajiri or because the idea is these guys don't necessarily look like what you were looking for in this era. Is that a Vince edict about a little bit? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. This is big on looks, Connie. Yeah. You know, that's not a secret in this business. You know, he's, he's big on looks, uh, illustration, Brockus. no, no aptitude to speak of, uh, but he looked great and he, he was all American on eight by 10, Yeah, but he couldn't work. And so we, you know, enough people told Vince, cause I was telling Vince, I, I want to cut this guy and he didn't want to, he didn't want to cut him. 
I thought my track record was pretty good, but I was willing to do what the boss told me because he paid my check. Uh, but, uh, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, you just, you got, you got to gamble a little bit, you got to gamble a little bit. And we had guys, you know, look, I don't know that I believed in the very beginning that Adam Copeland was going to headline WrestleMania, but I thought he had a fighting chance of his, he kept developing his body and he's such an amazing student of the game that, uh, he'd be prepared when his time came, but, it, but, but he, I didn't have the confidence to simply on the look, uh, that he was going to become this big star. Like I perceived Brock was going to become, for example. Uh, uh but he, he over, he, he over succeeded that. And, uh, but it was just, it was just hard. You know, you, you got to gamble on some of these cats, man. And, uh, as long as they're doing the right thing and they're coming to work on time and they're work, they're going to the gym, they're working on their bodies. They're, they don't have any off field issues. Then, you know, let's, let's see what happens. Let's continue to play this thing out. Well, let's play it out with athletic greens. Today's episode is brought to you by athletic greens and Jim and I both start our day every day with a G one. I started taking athletic greens at the start of the immune at the start of the <laughs> pandemic to optimize our immune system. Easy for me to say my wife knew that AG one was legit and she knew if she was going to get me to take it it needed to taste good. And it does. We've experienced better gut health, more energy an optimized immune system. And it really does check all the boxes. Let me explain with one delicious scoop of AG one. You're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day. Right. This special blend of ingredients is going to support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, your aging, all of the things. And our friend Dallas would want you to know it's lifestyle friendly, whether you're eating keto or paleo or vegan or dairy free or gluten free. We got less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial, anything. And it still tastes good. It's going to support better sleep quality and recovery, clarity and alertness. And we look at it as almost like your all in one nutritional insurance. Athletic greens has now more than 7,000 five-star reviews. That's worth repeating. 7,000 five-star reviews, Jim. That's impressive Conrad. You know, in anybody's game, anybody's product they're selling to get someone to stop and, and do the, go through the functionality of doing these, uh, reviews to say you got 7,000 five-star reviews is really impressive. Hey, absolutely. Jr. I feel like Tony Schiavone. That's exactly right. Jr. <laughs> right now it's time to reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health and to make it easy. Athletic greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash JR. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash JR to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athleticgreens.com forward slash JR. There you go. Hey, let's talk about tough enough here for a minute, because in the middle of us doing all of this with the developmental and Hey, there's no budget for this and there's no budget for that. We're still running a dog on TV show. And we're letting people who are on that TV show on TV, including, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, Jackie Gata and Christopher Nowinski. 
And it's in the observer that a lot of people are saying, Hey, wait a minute with all this talent that we got down languishing and, and developmental who's not getting a call up. How are these folks who are much greener with much less experience? How are they on TV? And of course the answer is, well, because they were already on TV, they're established to this audience. Is there more to it than that? Uh, not really. I mean, Nowinski was a Harvard graduate. He, he started on the football team there. Uh, I think people have got, they're worried about the wrong thing. I agree. He's a smart kid. He's done great work with the concussion protocol, uh, because that's what put him out of the game. And, uh, so I got all the time in the world for Chris Nowinski. And if you look at his body, you look at his background, his education, Hey, to get a Harvard degree, you don't just, you know, it ain't like going to, you know, Alabama A and M. Okay. Well, it's not, it's, no, it's, it's not. a big deal. It is. And he started it and he finished it. Yes. He started Harvard and he graduated. Yes. He finished his journey. Jackie Gator was involved in it because of her look. And she was a pretty good athlete actually. So, but, but neither of them had, uh, uh, the aptitude that you, you covet because of the lack of experience, lack of opportunity. I, uh, tough enough was a television product. Tough enough was not a talent relations, uh, uh, scenario. It wasn't a talent relations, uh, you know, I, it out of my account. I think some of it came out of my budget. Uh, well, when we signed them, they, they came out of my budget, but Kevin Dunn loved the concept and we had broadcast partners that were entertained, lo- loved the concept. So, you know, that's, that's how that worked. Uh, but it was a good idea for a TV show, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't completely underwritten philosophically, uh, by the, uh, by talent relations. The good thing about it, I think this is, you know, we, we used a lot of real key talents cause they were getting television exposure. They're getting it back on TV. I mean, Austin made a lot of tough enough episodes. He liked it, for example. So tough enough was a TV byproduct that came out of Kevin Dunn's mind and, and, and Vince. So, uh, and I always, I like the concept. I like the concept a lot. I think that my department lost some control, uh, because we didn't have any hand in selecting talents to go on, to be on it. And I think our, again, track record, I'm big on track record, Conrad, prove it to me. So, uh, and I, I, I didn't feel a part of that as much as I, I did the OVWs of the world, so forth. So in any event, uh, it was unique times and there's where the politics come into play. Well, this is his idea. Well, this is their idea. And then the second guessing would start about this guy's too short. This guy's too small, you know? So it, the, the, the ugly head of wrestling politics started peeking around the corner. Let's talk about some politics because Meltzer would be pretty critical and say, Steve Bradley was having matches with Kurt angle three years ago in Memphis when he was the flair and angle was the sting. He's still only 26 and he was a constant source of amazement. Because not only was he the best worker of the developmental crew, aside from someone like Canyon, but he was also a strong promo and in great condition. Sadly, of course, Steve is no longer with us these days, but it does feel like the guy who wrestled his reckless youth, Tom Carter, he's just hanging around down here for a long time. So is Steve Bradley. 
And Meltzer would say this, there's been a much talked about systematic problem where both Danny Davis and Les Thatcher are training wrestlers for mid South wrestling in the eighties, instilling old school values and training when the WWE is currently something totally different. And nobody is quite sure these days what it's trying to be right. due to the level of the full-time WWE competitors, most of whom are very good workers. They're made better by working with good people up to 200 nights a year. And it's impossible for a developmental system where guys work, if they're lucky, a hundred to 125 matches against generally equally inexperienced talent before smaller crowds to walk in and be as proficient as most of the crew. I think that's fair, but I do want to ask about, Hey, do you think they're onto something with Danny Davis and Les Thatcher is training them for the way wrestling used to be, not the way WWE is now. Fundamentals. I don't buy that whatsoever. Okay. None. Zero. Can't sell that one to me, Connie. Fundamental soundness doesn't go out of style. I don't give a shit if it's Florida or in the seventies or mid South in the eighties or wherever. There's certain elements that are always in place. And that's essentially the art of storytelling. And the other things that are, you come along with a, a, a prospect, the fact that they are working out hard, their, their bodies getting looking better, you know, uh, all those things. So no, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that particular argument, you know, but again, that's where the politics come in. Everybody's got an idea. Well, we don't need that guy. Right. Have you met him? You talked to him? Oh, no. Have you been around him whatsoever? Oh, no. I just don't look. Oh, so it's all about the look. You haven't peeled the onion back. You haven't you talked to this guy or this lady, whatever. So it was, uh, I didn't, I don't, I won't buy that one. I fundamental soundness does not go out of style. Let's talk a little bit about, um, politics. It's written in the observer here, politics and paying dues create resentment. And it's a system that is getting more frustrated as economics collapse and new superstars are needed. And there are no top guys in other territories that have gotten stale and can be raided to create fresh top matchups. There's been infighting that the developmental territories aren't creating marketable stars. The counter is when the guys are brought in. They aren't given effective pushes and are doomed to fail. Uh, now we know we're going to overcome a lot of that, but a guy like Batista, he did come out carrying a collection box with Devon at first. And well, some of these early presentations are not all that awesome. Now, then you get a guy like Brock Lesnar and man, he's just off to the races right away. There's probably something too, you know, if you present him as a star, there'll be a star, right? Jim. Yeah, if you, uh, you, you they got to believe they're going to be a star. Yes. They got to they got to have the self confidence uh, that they got star quality. The company believes in me. I just got to continue the course and continue to get better with each and every workout. And uh, that was always the concept. I, I always got to kick out of the well. This guy's they don't have anybody ready. Or this something. How do you get them ready without work? Right. Without practice. Yeah, I'll Robert Iverson, your ass. Practice. You're talking about practice, man. Alan Iverson, but I know what you're getting. What, what, who'd I say? Robert Iverson, but I know who you're talking about. Oh, you knew Robert, Robert Iverson was one of the best high school players I ever saw. In Tulsa. Alan uh, Iverson did. Okay. Too. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty good point guard. And you know, he was also a, uh, the top quarterback in the state that year in Virginia. So he was a hell of an athlete to say the, say the least. Uh, so I. 
oh, I, I, we had guys that were getting ready, but they had to get ready and they weren't take some time. Nobody's got patience and everybody's got a goddamn opinion. Yes. That's what I said earlier in the show. I wanted to separate. I want, I wanted those guys, those key players that were close to Vince to buy into my concept. Patterson and, and Patterson was very good. Patterson loved that, that, that con that, the concept of the developmental territory. And I'm sure Bruce did too. You know, you, you got a chance to affect a talent's life and to get them, uh, motivated. So anyhow, it was, uh, it was, uh, I, I just don't buy that other deal. You know, you gotta have, you gotta have a whole card full. You got, it's like playing baseball. You gotta have nine players, right? I don't know how many players you gotta have in wrestling, but you, you, you gotta have more than two or three. And I thought we had, you know, this, this, those guys that headline WrestleMania, uh, what the, what a bad place to start. They were the foundation for, uh, coming out of the attitude era into the ruthless aggression era. And I'm not going to take blame for creative on how they were booked. That's, that was not my job. Uh, and I didn't have any influence in that area. Thank God. Cause, uh, I'd probably been like Cornette look crazy. So I don't believe the coverage were bare and Melser's criticisms and stuff about it. You know, again, everybody's got a way of doing it. Everybody's right. got their concept and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't buy into that uh, and I'm biased too. Cause I have to give that. Well, yeah, that's, right. that's why this is fun. I mean, you were there, uh, Meltzer would give some props and say Thatcher in particular had a tough job, although well liked by many, he was given a crew of wrestlers trained in a fast paced, high spot oriented WCW style at the power plant. We had already gotten habits instilled to them. Some of them already had a taste of stardom. That's probably tough. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, Cornette and Davis have to try to keep morale up and explain to trainees while Bradley, who seemingly is everything everyone else wants to be, is still in developmental, but guys like Nowinski and Johnny, the bull are getting a chance. And Meltzer would say this. And ultimately the biggest problem of all is explaining why management and coaches want all the young guys to get off steroids occasionally even testing and also advising them to do so while at the same time, the guys who get the opportunities and survive the cuts for the most part are the guys with the best bodies. Yeah. Very hypocritical on our end. Yeah. Uh, uh what are you going to say? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of guys are using. Yes. But, uh, they, I, I stand again. That's not why they got over. Right. I agree. Anybody that believes that your physique is the only thing you need to have should look up Brockus again. Yes. And there are others that have great bodies, but, but no intimate, uh, infinite skill set. And if you don't have some of that, those intangibles, uh, uh Conrad, you just, you're not going to make it. You're just not going to make it. So. I, I am defensive of that whole scenario, but I knew, look, I told you in the beginning of the show, how, what I was worried about, everybody wants to, when they see something successful, they want to become a part of it. That's right. And then they want to be a decision maker. And that led to, pro that, excuse me, that led to problems. Do you remember there being any blowups that you had to manage? in developmental, whether it was Vince or some of the talent or some of the folks who ran it. Oh yeah. You had little dust ups every now and then talents, jealous of each other, whatever. 
Uh, sure, sure. It's a personnel thing. You got human beings, and you got strong personalities, and you got guys with a definite sense of urgency because they knew by getting called up, they're going to make more money, and that's what everybody was there for—to make more money. Let's talk a little bit about you know when when you eventually are replaced as head of talent relations by Johnny Ace. That means that Johnny Ace is now going to step into your spot and helping handle some of these developmental relationships too. Could you see the writing on the wall that maybe Johnny Ace and Jim Cornette weren't going to see eye to eye all the time? Oh yeah, that was easy. Yeah, that was that wasn't hard, you know. And of course, uh, a new guy gets a job. Uh, he wants to put his own spin on it, his own feel, and uh, and 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 I never had any problem trusting. Cornette. I didn't always agree with him to be perfectly honest. Uh, but that's okay too. Uh, we've known each other for, you know, God almighty since, since the mid eighties. And, uh, and even though I know he's a little crazy, but so am I, uh, you know, that was what it was. I never, I never, I had a hard time as time went on trusting Laurinaitis and, uh, that's sad to say. That's how it works. And I hired him. I gave him a job when he needed it. And then I got, uh, he, I don't think he treated me quite right. Again, he was wanting to show Vince. He's a better manager than Jr. and, uh, all these things. And so now his, his ass is without a job and, and he deserves the goddamn misery that he's living, uh, that I perceive that he's living. Uh, and I didn't like how he treated me. So, uh, this is not about me. This is about the developmental program, but I, I don't, I, I started losing a lot of confidence in him. Johnny just wanted to be sure he was seen with Vince. Uh, you know, he's a good looking kid, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, he hadn't had Bell's palsy. Like I had, he had a leg up on his look. Vince likes looks, which is always astonishing to me. How the hell that, uh, I was on, I was on the air that long. 26 years with a less than advantageous look. And it's one of the reasons I say is because none of you bastards are going to outwork me. Right. I'm going to be the best at what I do in the business. That was always my goal. It's still my goal every week. Uh, but it's just the competitiveness in me, but yeah, I, I just, I, Ty Bailey was a, seemed like a decent guy. He was benign. He, 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 uh, he'd been neutered. And spoon fed to what to say and how to look and all those things. So, uh, I'll say this, Lauren, I just played the, played the game, played it well. And, uh, but I, I didn't appreciate it. I don't think he treated the talent as fairly. He had agendas and I'm not saying I didn't ever have an agenda as be lying, but I didn't have as many as he did in my opinion. So, you know, it was just, again, politics, man. Help me, help me understand when you say he had agendas, what does that mean? Well, he had an agenda that he wanted. He's going to placate Vince. Yeah. I wanted to placate Vince too. So I'm not saying I was different. I just handled it differently. Right. Uh, I made decisions without Vince's. I didn't have to get in a situation where I'm going to have to. Okay. Everything that get everything. Okay. Through the, through the old man, he trusted me. I don't know that Vince ever really truly trusted Laurinaitis and we've kind of seen how that relationship has worked out and evolved. I don't want to be in that position. Uh, 
it was just it's unhealthy for relationships, families, the company. And so you see how it ended. Kind of ended the way many of us thought it might. So uh, that's that's how I'm, what I'm saying. He he went out of his way to make sure he stayed in front of Vince all the time. And there'd be, I there's not a day went by that I didn't talk to Vince, phone, texts or meetings. But uh, I never went out of my way to, hey Vince, guess what I did today? Right. You'd be so proud of me. Well, uh, first of all, Vince ain't proud of shit. <laughs> yeah. He's just not. Right. It's not a big knock. It's just the way that he is. Right. And, uh, Lauren, I just uh, played that up and I, I don't know. I, I just, it was a bad time for me personally. And it was sad to see what I tried to help build become what it was, but I'm sure as hell happy that triple H finally got involved and it's made a massive difference in, uh, the NXT brand. Before that, Florida Championship Wrestling. I used to go down there all the time. When I got taken out of the position of being in charge, I didn't quit working. I'm going on the road. And I'm going to try to help these guys. I'm going to try to be there to help the promoters. Steve Kern in Florida, you know, and the Cornette and, and Danny and, and Louisville, things of that nature. So I was on the road a lot and, and enjoyed the heck out of it. Just really did enjoy it, it a lot. Especially going to Florida was cool. Weather was always nice. That's where I'm sitting right now. And, uh, it was just cool. I I didn't lose touch with my creation. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about somebody who maybe, uh, is going to lose their cool. There's a pretty famous story down in OVW when they're trying to get over and establish this boogeyman character. And Cornette still has uh, his hands around OVW. He wants his hands around Santino Morella's neck. Uh, it blows up and Cornette blows his stack when Santino maybe doesn't sell the boogeyman as well as he should. And allegedly it results in Cornette slapping him. When that word gets back to Stanford, I think Cornette's maybe going to get his hand slapped a little bit. What do you remember about that? His days were numbered. Can't do it. I took the battle in my hands. And of course I'd already been replaced. So, uh, unfortunate should never have happened. I don't know that Santino knew how to sell or what he was supposed to sell. Right. I saw he came to one of the AEW shows. Maybe it's in Toronto. Probably was uh, here a while back. And we laughed about that moment. Cornette's lucky. He didn't get killed. Cornette's lucky that Santino didn't beat the shit out of him. Cause he could have, and it could have been very, very ugly, quite honestly, but in any event, uh, that should never have happened. It makes the decision maker defenseless. Right. So yeah, what can you say? Yeah. I, I, I really, like I said, I, there's so many aspects of Cornette's uh, knowledge and stuff that I pulled from and I utilized. He's uh, really, uh, gifted in that area. But his temper and over the years, it seems like it's maybe had gotten worse. I'm not sure. Uh, but I don't, you know, it's just sad how it all these things happen. We didn't need him slapping talent. Right. And, uh, but he made a mistake. There's a lot of changes that go on. Once you leave, uh, 
deep South wrestling, Jody Hamilton, that becomes one of them. Uh, Mike Bucci gets involved. Eventually that too closes Florida championship wrestling starts up in 2007. At the time it's run by Steve Kern. And of course, uh, eventually that's going to become NXT, but the OVW thing comes to an end in 2008. Uh, Meltzer would have this to say, Johnny Laurinaitis made it official on February 7th. The WWE was cutting all ties with Ohio Valley wrestling. The decision was expected. WWE has clearly lost interest in the territory with almost all the new signees being sent to Florida. The feeling was that with much, much of the talent and management living in the Tampa area, it was better for a developmental group to run there. In addition, with the money WWE had spent in getting the FCW territory off the ground, they needed to corporately justify it by having it as the home for all of the developmental talent. Sometime back, WWE sent a press release out saying they expected a new Florida championship wrestling promotion to have 70 wrestlers under contract. And from that point on, it appeared as if OVW's days were numbered. So eventually we do know it becomes FCW and then eventually NXT. But at least at first it's written here that OVW at first was pretty significant priority when the company, since it was essentially Ross's pet project, they would send top stars down there every few weeks to help train the young wrestlers and work the TV shows and big shows. Even Steve Austin, Undertaker, Kane, and Mick Foley worked some of the bigger shows. You think Austin and Kane and Undertaker went down there because they're loyalty to Johnny Laurinaitis? They did not. Shit, no. They went down there because they truly enjoyed working with the young guys. Uh, we took good care of them payoff-wise for their uh, time there. And it created some working capital for the, the promotion. That's why they were there. And it worked out very well. So, you know, when an undertaker walks into your gym, so to speak, uh, everybody's going to look, pay attention. Same way with Steve, you know, he's, they are at a level or they were at a level that everybody should be aspiring to be as well. And that's what the guys were literally looked up. They listened. So it was, a. I thought that was a smart bookie. I thought that worked out real well. And those guys knew it meant a lot to me. And, and, uh, they knew I was going to take care of one their payday, which is still the bottom line as old stone Cold would say. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, but we got so many cooks in the kitchen, Conrad. Yes. Sometimes, and sometimes that just don't work too many personalities. Everybody wants credit. Everybody wants to look at me, look what I did, all those things. And it got to be where it wasn't as much fun. Let's also mention that, uh, even though Austin and undertaker and Foley and Kane, and they all came through OVW triple H never did. Meltzer had this to say, there were always people critical of it talking about OVW and it survived numerous times when it would have been axed. Sometimes Vince would lose his cool over something and decide to shut down all of developmental, but then be talked out of it because the independents, which focus on smaller guys in a completely different style weren't developing talent that would do what WWE wanted. Triple H was a heavy critic of the program, even during its heyday, because much of the talent would come in and it was just a huge step from working before 300 people and now 10,000 people. And he'd say that Cornette and Davis weren't teaching the wrestlers how to draw money. I'm not trying to pick on Hunter here, but I think OVW did pretty well. It did. Uh, again, you get to a scenario where it's not his idea. Right. 
and he's another alpha male that wants to be in charge. Yes. And I got no problem with that. Quite frankly, he, he's, he, uh, he resurrected that whole down area did Hunter. Uh, and it, if it weren't for him, there sure as hell would be no NXC, not even a chance. So, uh, but he had the vision. We shared the same visions. Yes. The, the little nuances of, well, let's push this guy. Let's push that guy. Who's going to get the push. Who's going to get this or that. You know, I don't know. Take, take it easy. The concept was, was, a, was a like theory by those that including Hunter, uh, we all knew we had to, we had to develop new stars and now it's probably what I don't, we had that one year where we did a, we, we spent 1.1 million. What do you think the budget is now? That's a lot more than that. Damn right. It is. They got talents making that much money. Yes. One talent. So figure that out. It's a good deal. That's how you attract good people. You, you bring them in, qualify them and you, and you train them, train them up. And, uh, I, I have great admiration for what Hunter's done in, in the developmental. It's a, you know, th- th- I think that's, you know, we talked about earlier in the show about, you know, uh, uh, William Regal, you know, William Regal is a huge proponent of the developmental area. And he had a lot to say, a lot to do with the success of NXT. So, uh, a lot of people that had that I respected and I liked, I enjoyed working with were, at, were on the same page as I was. We just took different routes to get to our destination. And that's not a downer. That's not a negative, just a different philosophy. So that's kind of where I, I, I see that deal. I, I got over my, the fact that just because somebody disagrees with you, doesn't make them totally wrong or you totally right or whatever. It just doesn't. So uh, Hunter's done a fabulous job of keeping that to brand afloat and building it and developing it. And you know, I, there's a lot of those young talents I see on TV occasionally that I enjoy, but they're, they're spot guys. A lot of them are spot guys, uh, but then there's a good, uh, group down there that, uh, aren't right. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're good workers. I remember going to, uh, I can't remember what they call their show when they did the, you know, when they did their, their showcases takeover, takeover. Yeah. I, I sat on the front row with little Jan and I, uh, when Finn Balor made his debut and I'm thinking, gee, this son of a bitch is ready to go, go right now. Yes. Put him on the, put him on the WrestleMania publicity posters. Yes. This kid's, he's fantastic. Yes. So there were a lot, a lot of those guys were discovered and brought in and things that's really helped a lot. So, well, let's also say this, uh, he ain't really an NXT creation. That guy was a top guy in new Japan before he came over. Uh, but listen, everybody has their critics. Uh, even Batista was critical of OVW saying once that he learned more in a few days from fit Finley than he did his two years in OVW. Um, and I do want to mention that. You know, the, the whole mess that is OVW in the end and the controversy when F when FCW gets going, it has critics too. And Meltzer would say that a lot of people are calling it fast food wrestling training. 
because it's one warehouse with four rings set up and a lot of people are strongly against it. And I guess there was a lot of contention for a long time because Johnny Ace wanted to have two rings in OVW because you could train more people at the same time. And those in OVW were strongly against it. And it's even in the observer that Tom Pritchard was the biggest opponent of this idea of having multiple rings in a camp. And it might've even been one of the reasons he was fired and Meltzer would say, while guys can get more time in running the ropes and doing athletic drills with more rings between the noise and the split group, when it comes to learning lessons of how to work. You simply can't get enough hands-on instruction in a class of that many people with so much going on at once. And I listen, I, I think that just comes down to a philosophy, but that's all once upon a You're time, right. you know, we made a decision here in this opportunity to say, Hey, we're going for more quality than quantity. Right. But going back to 70 wrestlers, that sounds like quantity. Yeah, it is. It was, uh, and, and he lost the, the uniqueness of it. He lost the the specialness of it, uh, just, you know, individual look, ask any parent Conrad, you want your kids sitting in a classroom of a hundred other students, or do you want them in a classroom of 25 or 30? Right. I mean, it's just common logic. Of course it's better if you get more individual, uh, teaching and coaching. So, uh. But as this thing continued to evolve, it became extremely political. And there's a point there. I don't remember when, where I was thinking to myself, self, (laughs) you need to back out of this little deal. Yes. You did all you could do. You know, you started something that's worked out really well. And you're, you're not in that role anymore because of politics and a disloyal bastard that I hired that, uh, was going to stabbed me in the back. And that's when I realized that the, the wrestling business had started changing and I didn't want to necessarily be a big part of it. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the end of FCW. You actually appeared at the last TV taping. It's a sellout turn away crowd. You would write that there were lots of kids that stood out Rollins, steamboat, Cesaro. Oh no. Dallas, Wyatt. Maddox, the Ascension, Big E, Jason Jordan, Page, several others. You talked about how you loved the Dean Ambrose and William Regal stuff that had yep. a shockingly real physical con- conclusion. And yep. of course, after that, we transition into NXT and we see the likes of Seth Rollins and Cesaro and Bray Wyatt and Page. And I mean, it's phenomenal what they put together in NXT. Of course, the Performance Center officially opens in Orlando, not Tampa, but Orlando. <laughs> on July 11th, 2013, and they've never really looked back. And, uh, that looks like what we're looking at. If you're watching on YouTube or over on adfreeshows.com, like the, uh, the progression of the power plant. Is that the way you kind of looked at it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look, it it had a power plant feel to it, to me. Yes. Uh, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but I, I, was never overwhelmed with the success out of the WCW power plant. Right. I thought we trumped them in that particular little competition. If there was such a thing, I'd agree. So, uh, yeah, it was, but it, it just got too much bullshit. You know, I, my cousin wants a job the, I got this friend. I met him at the gym, um, or, you know, whatever you think the roster got too big. Yeah. Yeah. And hiring the wrong people. 
the nepotism is a pain in the ass and it's, it's a nepotism in wrestling has never been more prominent in any promotion, all promotions, uh, husband, wives, you know, cousins, all these things. So, uh, it sounds like I'm bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm just saying that inherently causes problems, you know, uh, managing the talent roster all those years, the one, the one thing that was new that had not been previously done was managing females in the locker room. And you got a bunch of horny guys, a lot of alpha male feel, and you got a lot of horny women with a lot of alpha women feel, and it takes special management and paying attention and with a good staff that pay this paying attention. Uh, so it was hard. It was hard uh, Connie to separate some of that stuff. But yeah, I, I remember going doing that. I remember calling that, uh, that, uh, that match in with Regal and uh, Ambrose. Yeah. Now John Moxley, uh, it was great. And we knew Moxley was special Yeah. at that time. No doubt. Hey, let me ask this. You know, we, uh, we've, we've talked a lot about developmental here and we're wrapping it up and going to put a bow on it. But if you were a wrestler coming up today and you had an opportunity to, or maybe you were not a wrestler coming up today, you want to be a wrestler coming up today. Yeah. Would you recommend trying to go through the developmental system as just an athlete who, who has no real wrestling experience? Or do you think there's value to the independence? Because there are two ways to get this thing done. You could go the, the Baron Corbin route, if you will start with NXT and, and get down at the performance center and cut your teeth and work your way up or go out and bust your ass on the Indies, learn a new hold, as you like to say, and, and try to get in that way, either there or a W or somewhere else. I don't know if there's a better, the, the better of the two, uh, the, it might take you longer when you start clean, start fresh. Yes. Uh, and you go straight into the, uh, performance center. Uh, they've had success there with that. So that's one school of thought and I, it, it depends on the talent, but also, uh, a, a, a guy that's been out there and paid his dues or her dues on the Indies. You know, uh, that works too. You got to have some experience and you got to work with those fundamentals and, uh, all the things that go along with becoming a pro wrestler in today's world, how to pay your taxes. I was talking to some guys the other day about, uh, quarterlies. Yes. And they looked at me, the ones I was talking to looked at me like incredulous. Now, now what is this quarterly thing again? It's your taxes. You're an independent contractor. You're responsible for paying your taxes. The worst thing you can do, a lot of wrestlers do it. You just don't file. And man, that's goes against my grain. You got to file because you're going to get a little bit more leniency and you're going to get a little bit more uh, cooperation from the IRS if you file. And if you don't have the money to pay your taxes, it doesn't mean you shouldn't file so things like that you know, uh, that are more prominent and should be addressed. And, uh, but yeah, uh, both those ways work the, uh, the usually, and I know it's old cliche, Connie, the cream will normally find its way to the top. That's right. Stay with it. Hang with it. Have a good attitude. Work every day to improve yourself, whether you're working out your nutrition, whatever it may be. And if you're doing those things, 
you're doing just about as much as you can do. Hard work conquers all. Let, let me ask you this. I know that there's been a lot of questions that you've gotten over the years about, you know, who's the best guy to never make it and things like that. But yeah, do you ever, you do you ever think back and you take a look at not necessarily a guy who just fumbled and, and whatever, but maybe where the system failed him, it really was just a, a circumstance of timing where you really believed in them and other people really believed in them. But for whatever reason, the system failed them. Does a name like that exist in your mind? It might. If I go back and really peel the onion back and do a little bit more forensic study, uh, there's always a reason that somebody doesn't make it. And some of those reasons are easy to identify and to solve. Actually, if you identify the problem, then you go solve it. Right. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't, I can't think of a name. Uh, I'm sure the fans listen to the show. We'll have somebody on their mind. Well, here's the thing about fans. And I, I speak as a fan, I, I know who I think, oh man, that guy could have been a star, but I don't know the circumstance enough behind the scenes to know why that didn't happen. And sometimes, okay, yes, it is on the talent, but sometimes I do think, Hey man, the system's just broken and it failed that guy. And I think we saw that when, for instance, Hunter took over. One of the first things he did is he went out and hired back a lot of the folks who had been sent away. And there's been a lot of debate about, you know, should he have hired this guy or that guy or what have you, but he certainly believed in them, but maybe somebody else didn't. And that right. sounds like it was almost a, well, are you a, this guy or are you a, that guy? And so when someone thinks you're a loyalist to this talent or that talent to go back in a different circumstance, you could probably argue that Dr. Death, maybe a lot of people thought, well, that's Jr's boy. So he oh, came, yeah. he came in with a bullseye on him. That's not really his fault. He didn't do anything wrong. Right. No, nothing. Yeah. And nobody confronted him about it either. That's the irony. Right. But a bunch of chicken shit cowards that, that thought they could help him, but they're afraid to approach him. He's a sweetheart. He was a sweetheart of a guy. Uh, you know, I was hoping to get that one run out of him. I wanted Dr. Death versus stone cold somewhere down the road and getting doc ready would have been a fresh match. It could have been really good. I think. But, you know, it just didn't work out that way. That stupid fucking brawl for it all. Yeah. That was a lot of pushes and confidence and things like that. So, yeah, just this had a lot of spinoffs, Connie. Had a lot of spinoffs uh, of problematic issues. So. I I know it wasn't on your watch. Doc was going to be a player. I know it wasn't on your watch. I know it wasn't on your watch. I want to give a shout out before we wrap things up. I know we've gone long today, but this is such a great topic. Deep South wrestling, almost like the forgotten developmental territory cranked out quite a bit of talent. The Miz, Xavier Woods, Matt Cardona, even Kenny Omega went through there. Uh, obviously it's high fives all around for OVW because that was your baby, but boy, deep South did their thing too. And we're going to be doing our thing next week. When yeah. we talk about in your house, degeneration X from 25 years ago. We're going to wrap up the heart foundation. We're going to be talking about Brett screwed Brett, the push of Ken Shamrock, Steve Austin and the rock beginning their journey together. Uh, Jeff Jarrett's vignettes and sit downs with you. Sergeant slaughter is back in the ring against triple H taking on Mark Marrow. And, uh, well, I guess we'll see Mark Marrow actually taking on Butterbean. How about that? If you'd like to, uh, ask some questions about that show, it's easier to participate. Just ask us a question on social media. It's at Jr grilling on Twitter and Instagram. That's at JR Grilling on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Grilling JR on Facebook. 
Uh, Jim is all sorts of active on Instagram and Twitter. He is at JR's BBQ on Twitter at Jim Ross BBQ on Instagram. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we hope you guys are digging what we're doing. Uh, if you think we've earned it, throw us a like, hit that subscribe button, throw us a five-star review. If you think we're worth it. And, uh, by all means recommend to your friends who are maybe wanting to check out Jim Ross and his podcast, check us out on YouTube. It's a little bite size opportunity. Sometimes these shows go over two hours. I get it. So introduce them to us on YouTube. It's grilling Jr. on youtube.com. You'll want to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, turn on your notifications. That's grilling Jr. on YouTube. Of course, this time of year, the perfect stocking stuffer is jrsbbq.com. They got something for everybody at jrsbbq.com. They're even running flash sales all the time. You don't want to miss it. Go ahead and check it out right now. jrsbbq.com. You see all the different offerings there, including the brand new JR's red ass hot sauce. Now that right there is going to get everybody talking. My old pal, uh, doodootrucking.com, Jeff Jewett. He just got his hot sauce. Absolutely loves it. Uh, we can rock, check out the uh, main event mustard, check out the Chipotle ketchup, two types of barbecue sauce, both original and hot, but maybe my favorite of all the offerings is that seasoning. You just can't beat it. It's the all purpose seasoning. And when we say all purpose, we mean it. It tastes good on everything. Use it on all your protein. Use it on your fish, your chicken, your steak, your eggs. I've even used it on popcorn. Seriously. It's fantastic. Can't miss it's JR's all purpose seasoning. Get all of this and even some gift opportunities and some sales at jrsbbq.com. That's the best way to support the show, jrsbbq.com. And maybe right here at the end of the year, this starts to be a stressful time for a lot of moms and dads. If you're worrying, hey man, how am I going to pay off this Christmas on a credit card situation I've created? I can help. Savewithconrad.com. We can hook you up. That's savewithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. But if you've got credit card debt, or you're worried about how you're going to pay for all this holiday spending, we can help you out. First of all, we're going to get you the best mortgage you've ever had. Here's what I mean. All that credit card debt gone. Just like that. We can help you pay off your house faster, do it with cheaper monthly payments or get you the cash you need to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket. But what really comes in handy this time of year, a cheaper monthly payment, getting rid of that credit card debt and skipping your next two house payments. That's right. Skip your next two house payments. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. And maybe if you're a renter and you're thinking, well, I don't know, did I miss my chance to buy a house? No, now's the time to buy a house. This time a year ago, you had to compete with a hundred different shoppers. Now you might actually get a price reduction. You can get a better deal on the house. And by the way, my advice is always date the rate, marry the house, get the house you really like when rates get better, we'll refinance it for you. We even have a seven year guarantee at savewithconrad.com. That's savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll see you next week right here talking all things in your house. Degeneration X from 1997. My favorite year. Here we go. On Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.